Welcome back to the Clinton Arms. I'm Steve Wright and I'm delighted that for this episode I'm joined by Phil Druggins and Sean Hockett from the Bandy and Shinty fanzine as we talk about the games played so far and the growing sense of identity around the club under Sabri Lamushi. It's been a while since we last made a Bandy and Shinty podcast so it's great to get most of us back together and I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation. Please do remember to like and subscribe to the podcast and also give us a follow on Twitter at Clinton Arms Pod. Thanks for listening. <laughs> But what a difference a week makes. I mean, we were all quite happy last week, weren't we? We were. We were. If, if we'd actually managed to record that one, it would have been a very different experience. <laughs> we're, we're a bit post-Cardiff, aren't we? Yeah, well, I was thinking originally that it's, it's a shame that we're, we're doing it after a defeat because there's a lot of negativity out there at the moment. Well, there was in the immediate aftermath of, of the game against Fulham, but... And then the flip side of me thought, well, maybe it's not such a bad thing because at least it it's kind of made people think a little bit more maybe about <coughs> where we are and and what type of a team we really are. Maybe it gives them a bit of common sense comes into it as well. Absolutely. Do you think do you think the scoreline kind of flatters us a bit? Just being one nil. I'm surprised in the um, in, in like the aftermath of it that you know that there's been a lot of talk about you know it was a narrow defeat um, you know two teams looked uninspired I thought Fulham looked very good for what it's worth I mean they their sort of retention of the ball wasn't quite as good as it normally is so there was a you know a few loose passes from them but I thought Fulham looked streaks ahead of us last night. In you know, uh, in in terms of their ability on the ball, retaining the ball, using it constructively, I thought they had the triangles going, they had the link up going in a way that we didn't. Brian Laws commented in the uh, in the first half, and I thought it was a very shrewd observation that when we were you know trying to break, we we can become a little bit one dimensional in that, where a lot of it's based on pace and running with the ball rather than kind of you know connected up play. Um, and there weren't really any passages of play from us last night, whereas I thought Fulham looked utterly comfortable all the way through. Yeah, we never really pushed them, did we? Um, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, there was that need to make some kind of incisive pass, whether it be crossfield or, you know, through the middle into Graben or something like that. It just didn't, didn't work. And you think, well, you know, I'm not quite sure what you're trying here, lads, because that's not. What we've been doing. It's an interesting one because there is like zero width really in that Fulham team. Um, and you think that would, you know, that would play kind of nicely into our hands and we'd set up for that. But it makes you realise when you watch us, as we were last night, we are kind of so dependent on one of Amiobi and Lolly being on it. And it's been a while, but last night was an example of one of those games where neither one's really at the races and we don't half suffer for that when they're, you know, both not feeling it. Um, Lolly, you know, for whatever reason, hasn't looked completely confident in, in his own body and in his own fitness for the past few games. Um, yeah. But it's been a long time since I've seen Amiobi and Lolly struggle in the same game like they did last night. And as I say, we don't half cop for it as a team when that's the case. Yeah, um, you know, 
I think it also showed last night that there isn't that much depth with the players that came on. Although I have to say, you know, the little bits that we've seen of the Costa, I know he didn't have a fantastic half yesterday, but he certainly seems to be a bit different and a bit more improved than what we saw, you know, before the lockdown. And I, and I like, like the movement he's making and he's tracking back as well at times. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to see him score, obviously. Um, but other than that, you know, there, as um, was it you, Steve, that said this is crying out for Bostock? Paul said that, definitely. Okay. Um, I think Paul did at the time say um, he felt that the hierarchy of substitutes um, was wrong at the moment, and I tend to agree with him. I think, in particular, you know, as you say, we've we've seen a little bit of De Costa. I'd like to see some more of De Costa because he's shown some some signs that he's, he's certainly got a good touch. He certainly makes some some decent runs and movement at times, and he certainly fits with the. Um, we'll perhaps come to the, the Carvalho issue um, later, but he, he doesn't have an issue with doing the work. And you know, given that he's a, st- a central striker in essence when he when he was signed as well, right, he yeah. does the tracking back. He still gets back into the fullback positions and supports and, and makes challenges and stuff. So I'd like to see more of him. Um, I think the one that we we may be all feeling that we've perhaps seen enough of for the time being is, is Dear Carby, um, and that to see a player like that come on. Um, and perhaps to a slightly lesser extent, but still, Samedo hasn't really shown an awful lot in the the opportunities that that he's had to play. Um, Which is a shame because he, he, I think to... he started the season quite well, didn't he, Samedo? I was quite impressed with Samedo when we first saw him, you know, at the beginning of the season. But um, in places, he's been on the periphery, hasn't he? Tomato's regressed enormously as a player over the course of the season. And I think what benefited him at the start of it all, when he did look at his past, was weirdly, in kind of a, an inverse way, our shape wasn't anywhere near as solid then as it is now. And I think the more we've kind of firmed up and the more we, the, the more kind of coherent we've become, what we do, the more, in my mind, he stuck out as a sore thumb. Uh, in terms of contributing to it. Things back when they were a little bit more loosey-goosey at the start of the year um, and games were more stretched and more open, he tended to fit in better with that. But, you know, looking now, given that the the most sort of significant and compelling thing about us as a team is people holding their position and holding their shape, he's all over the shop. He's a Labrador of a footballer. Yeah. You know, running all over the shop. I'd, I'd echo completely what um, you've both just said about De Costa. Uh, he, my concern against Derby in terms of starting him was, is he going to get through the kind of defensive work, the tracking back that Amiobi does? I thought he did that brilliantly. And there's, you know, there's something to him as a player. You can see that. Uh, he has got very good touch. But in terms of touch, um, Adama, Jesus. That that's gonna be that one moment from last night is gonna be something that you'll be watching for years and years to come. And if there weren't advertising hoardings there, could that first touch have reached the lace market? I don't know. <laughs> and the thing I'd with, like to think he backed himself for pace. The thing with Dear Carby as well, 
is the end of price tag that he comes with. You know, they they paid a lot of money for him. He made two big moves, didn't he? He went to, I think it was in Monaco that he went to first and then to Huddersfield on two yeah. big moves. Um, and the tag that is supposed to be alongside him, you know, if we were to be thrilled to bits with him and want to make this permanent, is a huge sum as far as I'm aware. And there's just been absolutely nothing to suggest that he's, well, that you'd want him on any sort of deal. I mean, you think, think of we got Amiobi for a free transfer last summer and what he has contributed. Um, and as you say, maybe not been on the top of his game um, the other night, but over the season, he's really contributed probably far in excess of, of what everybody expected. Um, and compare yeah. him to Dia Carby. I would say, Steve, for me, um, when I look at Dia Carby, he is genuinely, in terms of application and talent, and I'm, I'm you know, going to stay well away from criticising the guy personally here because, um, you know, we shouldn't do that. But in terms of application, he is indistinguishable from a Nicolau Dumitri or, you know, someone of that kind of level. There, there is, when I watch Dia Carby, it's one of those sort of great mysteries that exist in football. When people say things like, ah, but you don't see them in training, you don't see the things that the managers do every day of the week, what's he doing in training? It must be remarkable, because <laughs> when you actually see the lad play, it's everything. It's awareness, it's positioning, it's a lack of willingness to actually apply the only real obvious talents he's got, which is speed and you know balance and things like that. Never takes his man on, um, apart from last night, and you saw what happened then. But between that, the fact that he's, you know, and to go back to what Paul said, this hierarchy of subs, the fact that he is regularly getting a game, coupled with the size of the moves that he's had in his career, this is where football loses me. Because what's going on behind the scenes that we don't get to see with stuff like that? Because it simply doesn't add up. Yeah, I mean, you can see why a manager like um, Lamushi would be attracted to a player with that much pace. But having seen what he's done up to now to then persist when you've also got um, you know, a young lad coming through our own academy in Mighton who has also got the pace, yeah. um, but also has, you know, he's, he's had one or two chances that maybe he should have put away um, or might put away in, in future. But to give him those opportunities instead of sort of throwing them at a, a player who's essentially on the short-term loan from Huddersfield and it's very expensive. Give him those opportunities to have a go, get used to the speed of the championship, get his you know, maybe put put something away because he's getting into good places. He's he's so he's in the right positions um, in terms of both creating and getting opportunities for himself to score. You know, by the end of the season, you could have a player there who's you know confident and ready at, at this sort of, of level to um, to be a really good functioning part of the squad. Whereas you can't ever see that you're going to have. Dear Carby in that position, not least because we're running out of games this season and surely we're not going to see him again next time around. I think you can say it's a really good point you make, Steve, and, and you could see, and I know a lot was made of the miss against Derby just before their equaliser, but in terms of the way that he held his run, curved his run to get into the position to receive a ball, he showed more football intelligence in that one moment than we've seen from Dear Carby for the you know full extent of his loan. Give those opportunities to Mighton, I say. Every single thing that he did when he came on yesterday was a movement forwards. It was a positive movement. He was taking up some great positions. I concur completely. Give him those opportunities. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, um, we've got four games left. You know, mathematically, it's still possible for us to drop out of the top six. I don't think it's going to happen. But you'd like to think that comes to the point where, you know, we're nailed on in there. I'd like to think that, you know, Mighton will get a couple of starts maybe in the last couple of games against Stoke and Barnsley. You know, because coming on for the last 10 minutes of the game when you're chasing it, you know, just adds, adds some additional pressure to someone that, you know, while you'd like him to be able to cope with that pressure and perform, you know, I think you need, you haven't got that, you haven't got that time, have you, to get into the game and, and find, I mean, we weren't playing with any rhythm anyway, let's be honest, but um, to find some kind of rhythm to get into the game. So, um, yeah, I'd definitely, you know, like to see that. To look at the bigger picture, I'd, I'd mentioned this last night on the, the group chat, but I was weirdly um, much less annoyed last night um, than I was after the Derby game, just because I thought last night, and Steve, you've touched on this yourself, um, we it wasn't the time after the amount of football we played in such a you know a truncated period. It wasn't the time to be playing a team like Fulham last night. You know they're going to have the bulk of possession. Your legs are tired and you know that you're going to be spending most of the game chasing the ball. Um, you really, really have to maximise what opportunities you do get. And I had a feeling last night that it was going to be a game too far for the run that we've had. Um, and it's one of those things where I have no problem saying that I thought we were just beaten by a better side last night. Uh, equally, we absolutely did a job on them at the cottage earlier in the year. Uh, it happens, right. you know. They yeah. were better last night. They executed their plan better. The Derby game was infuriating because, as we've you know all said and heard now, that was entirely self-inflicted and took away from pretty much the definitive away performance that a team can put together. Full of shape, full of heart, full of spirit. Derby fans have been very magnanimous in terms of saying that we should have put them to bed long, long before the end of that game. We made mistakes at both ends and we did that to ourselves. Last night was different. Last night we just got turned over by a better side. Yeah, I mean, we hardly created a chance last night, whereas, you know, a West Brom or a Leeds would have been 2 or 3 nil up before, that. you know, Derby had the opportunity to score in injury time. And, you, and quite right, you know, grabbing, you'd have put your mortgage on grabbing, putting something, even getting it on target with, you know, that close to the to the goal for, to make it at least 2 nil. So, um, I mean, but what an incredibly disciplined performance it was. And I feel you're absolutely right. It was a perfectly right performance. I don't think I've seen us play play better and play a more disciplined game this season. I thought we were brilliant. What was interesting about the Derby game, um, what surprised me about the Derby game was Derby. The way that Derby came out and they seemed to be under the impression that, you know, we've obviously got this reputation that we like to counter, we like teams to come on to us. And they seemed to have the impression that if they just didn't do that, we'd somehow be lost and, and flailing. But what they didn't do was in any way close us down or try and put any pressure on us when we came forward. So we immediately had the opportunity to take the initiative in the game. And um, I mean, it's a, it was a goal that another day might have been saved, might have been blocked, might have not gone in quite the the position it went in, which was right spot into the corner. I mean, it, it couldn't have been placed any better into the goal, could it? Once we were in the lead, he just never felt that really we were we were going to, because you know, it was in our hands. It was everything was playing to us by giving us a goal lead, allowing us to get a foot in the game and then just play our, our way through it. 
Um, and it wasn't really until those later stages where we unfortunately hit the panic button, not for the first time um, at that stage, that, that we ever looked like we were going to concede in that game. And funny enough, I think Fulham did the, did the same thing to us with the game the other night, where, whereby they were, as you were saying, Phil, they were, they were very much more confident in possession of the ball, but they didn't necessarily create an awful lot in that game until out of a little bit out of nowhere, Arta came up with a, a fabulous strike. Um, and then when they got their noses in front, the same thing happened. They were just able to control the game, um, but they didn't then lose their heads in the, in the final few moments and let us in. Um, and again, I don't think we ever really looked like scoring in that game. So in many ways, Fulham did to us what we do consistently to, to team after team in the way that, that we normally play. Amazing. If, if anybody, you know, anybody that scouts us doesn't just come away with the, the solution effectively of just put a high press on them, because generally when we play against a high press, we do struggle. You saw that last night. You saw it um, memorably in the, in the Millwall game just before lockdown, where, you know, they were incredibly high, very aggressive uh, in terms of their press. Um, Derby's tactics as you say for for that game were really really weird I mean I've seen them um, three times now this year and expected them to be significantly better each time I just think they're quite an ordinary team this year um, they're clearly going on with the amount of kids they've got in their team and looking at the West Brom game tonight I think they've only got by the end of the game they only had a couple who were over 24 uh, and that could bode really well for them in the future. But they look very much a transitional team this year. And we've touched on this before in the sadly unrecorded podcast. I think they're in something of a false position, Derby, this time around. Um, that said, I thought the Derby game was the word that gets bandied around with Forrest a lot, including by our own fans, is this sort of shit housing idea. And that game, to me, was categorically the difference between what's understood by shithousing and what is actually a very methodical, very structured away performance where we look consistently dangerous for the duration of the game. Yeah, now oh, I, I've, I've argued against this, this shithousing notion um, before and I just it just doesn't hold for the most part for me. I know Bright Amber's capable of every now and again taking his time over a few bits and pieces and picking up an unnecessary booking. Um, and I did have a little wry smile to myself around um, Sam Baseo as well the other night where he was gleefully kicking ankles and then just smiling in the faces of fallen opponents um, and thought oh, maybe I was just exaggerating a little bit that we don't do any of that sort of thing. Um, I was just about to say the same thing. I mean, there was a personification of a shithouse performance by Sam Baseo in the first half. I thought it was exceptional. It's just the way he smiles once he's taken them down that absolutely defeats them and leaves them so frustrated that they inevitably respond to him. But not only the niggly stuff, he did break up play exceptionally well, I thought. You know, he's clearly struggling for fitness, um, which is fine. You know, he played, I think it was 60 minutes. Did it 60 minutes against Derby? And he played the first half last night. And, um, you know, but um, I think we miss him. And he's coming back to, well, he certainly hasn't lost any of the the edge that he had when he was when he was fully fit because he just needs some match fitness now but you're right it was a personification of the shit house performance from Sam so long may that continue <laughs> sadly thanks for Sam Bissell that if he was a fitter footballer he very probably wouldn't be playing for us at this point 
Um, yes. Because, I mean, he has this, you know, this name as a destroyer. He's so much more than a destroyer. Um, you know, the, I, I look back to the times when Colback and Watson struggled to, to play together because, you know, they're a lot more similar as players than uh, Watson and Sal are. I think Sal's got um, a much more kind of forward-facing approach to his game than Watson has. Yep. He is a real kind of technical player. Some of his distribution is superb and his, his feet are excellent. Uh, when he came on uh, in the, I want to say, the end of the Bristol City game, uh, he had some beautiful pieces of skill in the corner. Um, and he's a really, really good player. I just wonder if he's a player we're ever going to see more than 20 games from in a season. I think that, I mean, that will be the interesting thing, I guess, about this um, sort of end to the season. I mean, ever since we came back, I've felt very comfortable and confident about where we are because we had a, a decent gap. We didn't have too many games left to play. Um, and that structure that you've kind of talked about and that organisation that we've got, I've always felt pretty confident that that would pick us up enough points to keep us in the, in the playoffs. Um, now that we've seen this, I mean, it's almost like tournament football, isn't it? Because the games are just coming thick and fast. I mean, there's always something on the telly at the moment. There's some game playing um, and we're playing, you know, twice a week. And assuming we do stay in, in the playoffs, we, there's not much of a gap until those playoffs happen as well. It continues pretty much the following weekend and then the week after again. So the games continue to come thick and fast. And I do wonder if that will be the one thing that really tests us. Um, yeah. You kind of mentioned Lolly possibly struggling a little bit. He, he took a kick against Derby um, and then he took another kick against Fulham. Um, and you just start to wonder whether the little niggles um, will become harder and harder to overcome as these games kind of come thick and fast on, on top of each other. And we do rely on that. I think Lolly and Graben um, and Amiobi and Silva as well have become very very good at this um, counter-attacking kind of concept. They understand exactly when they need to go and where they need to go to make those counter-attacks work. And you, when you see us sort of all back, all defending, and then the ball breaks, you watch those those key kind of attacking players and they're off in their different directions, ready for that counter-attack to spring. And, and we only need to lose a little bit of of momentum in those positions to then find that it, it becomes much more difficult for us to create chances. Um, I'd include the fullback in that, Steve, as well, um, because you, there was a period of time where we really struggled this year. We've generally been very lucky with injuries this year, I think. Um, certainly up front, I mean, we, we said after the summer that we were one grabbing injury away from being in a world of trouble for the first half of the season and, and probably for, you know, the whole of the season, let's be honest. The only time that I've really seen a struggle over a prolonged period of games was when Ribeiro was injured um, this year because, again, the fullbacks are so crucial to what we do and there isn't anybody else in that position like him, um, similar with Cash, really. Um, I would have faith in Doriqua doing a very similar job because I thought before he got his injury... Um, Dariqua had a really, really good season, I thought, last year and looked kind of twice the player that arrived at the club. Um, yeah. I think I think he learned a lot from Karanka, actually, in terms of his defensive game really improved. He never had a great concern about him going forward, but he became a really nicely rounded fullback last year. So I'm looking forward to having 
Dury Quebec in that regard. But you're absolutely right. Though that kind of front four, they know now after a long, long season what to do. Um, we have been very fortunate with injuries, and I'd be concerned greatly about any one of those four coming out because we've said in the number ten position, for example, and Silva isn't a ten. I'll never believe he's a ten. He plays the role well, but you worry about a Carvalho, for example, um, coming into that kind of position just because I think so much of what we do is probably so alien to him. Doesn't make him a bad player, not at all. Um, it's just you struggle to see when you see the amount of work we get through, positionally running off the ball. It's not his game. What's interesting tonight, so it is Wednesday and there are obviously more games in this round going on. So Derby have lost now 2-0 to West Brom. So that leaves them now seven points behind us and they've got a hell of a run in. So I think like you were saying, Phil, that probably means that they'll bottom out to a more realistic position of where they actually should be. The interesting one at the minute, and I, they've been inconsistent throughout. I mean, it must be really frustrating from a fan's perspective, but Swansea are currently winning 3-1. So that puts them into the sort of the seventh spot, um, but still five points behind us. And and this is where I always, if, if we were that far behind anybody, then I would be thinking, you know, we're not going to pick up the points regularly enough to catch that up because where we are, one win and and suddenly it's a very demoralising position for the team that's that's chasing. Um, but we have we have obviously got to play Swansea now. That can go two ways. If we get a point against Swansea, then we probably put them out of the picture from our perspective, and it's between them and them and Cardiff. Um, but I think those teams that have been chasing this top five, of which we're now the kind of the bottom edge, have all looked pretty inconsistent and unable to make a, a proper charge. And maybe those top five are the, the teams that have, have stood out this year. And at the moment, maybe Leeds and West Brom are, are taking a hold and Brentford are kind of maybe going to make a, a, a final kind of forlorn dash to, to miss out on the automatic promotion. It's, I, when I look at Swansea, I see a team who tend to win the games they're meant to, which is a very laudable trait in this league because it doesn't always happen. Um, I know that they beat Leeds away uh, towards the start of the season, but every single time, it seems, I see Swansea come up against a kind of significant test in this league, i.e. playing one of those top five. They don't really tend to do anything of note. I mean, we beat them very comfortably at their place this year. Um, I think, again, they... You know, given what was expected of them, I mean, they hemorrhaged talent um, last summer. A lot of big earners went from that club. Um, new coach, uh, rookie coach, a lot of kids in that team. They've done very well, all things considered. But even me with my sort of natural pessimist head on, I do think there's a significant gap between us and the likes of Swansea. Yes, I do yeah. as well. I agree. I think they are another club that's in transition. And I think there's a lot of that going on in the, the championship at the moment as clubs try to figure out how or whether they should deal with, with FFP and um, the issue of clubs with, with parachute payments having so much more resource. And I think there's been a lot of uncertainty amongst the championship clubs as exactly where to go. Swansea have gone back to their their roots in some ways, their more recent roots at least, of um, 
the way that they want to play football and bringing young young players through and they've got a coach who's kind of steeped in youth football and Brewster's obviously come in and done very well from from Liverpool but there just doesn't feel like there's any consistency outside of those um, top five and they feel like the teams that have, have made their mark and deserve to be in these these places and deserve to be going into the um, into the, the playoffs at the end of the season and I think we can still remain very confident that we're going to get there and what's going to be interesting is whether or not we can see it through and get over the line personally I think I'm a little bit less confident about that but the fact that we're in the mix to me is a is a fantastic achievement I keep going back to that one thing that we've been asking for for years and years and years that we actually get to the end of the season with the same manager so my now aspiration is that could we even do that again whether we go up or not could we actually get to the end of next season and still have the same manager that would as far as I'm concerned that would be a a winning situation for us it's great we're in the mix and it's, um, you know, if we can get it over the line, then absolutely fantastic. If we can't, let's not hold it against Sabri. Let's keep behind him and uh, and get behind what's been a, you know, a really positive season compared to where we've been before. When I see the way that we set up, I, I'm naturally like any Forest fan. I don't have happy thoughts about the playoffs in any capacity, um, just because, you know, it's, it's been a fairly unpleasant trend throughout our appearances in them the only thing that I would say is this Forest team is so different to any other Forest team that's been in the playoffs in terms of constitution concentration style whoever we played if we were in there there is a bit of me sort of cheeky little bit that thinks if we did what we do right and did it well I don't think anybody would enjoy playing as a Brentford uh, a Fulham, regardless of what happened last night, um, whoever comes in sixth, if we did it, and it's a big if, because there's been times when, you know, um, last night being an example, we, we look completely blunt and technically a very limited team with the ball. Uh, but there's been loads of times against good sides this year when we've done it and done it very, very well. And we tend to get a result when we click, when we do what we do best it does tend to trump other teams in this league. So I'd be fascinated to see. To me, there's no pressure. There's no pressure whatsoever. I'd, I'd be fascinated to see us in that situation and take a look at how we acquit ourselves. It's it's just delightful to, to be in that kind of a position in the first place to contest them. Just going back to Swansea, though, um, it's, it's a funny one for me because I've got sort of like... I don't know if it goes back to sort of like that synchronicity we had in League One and then coming up and being in the Championship... And then what happened in the playoffs? I've got this kind of phobia of Swansea where whatever they're like, I'm just constantly afraid of them. And the facts speak for themselves this year, but it's like a Walsall thing, but on a higher level. Bad memories. It, it's, I, just, I find the, the relationship between the two clubs so interesting because if you remember, the season we went into League One was the season they'd come up from League Two. And... It's fascinating to see how the you know the, the trajectories that both clubs have been on in that time because I remember going to Swansea away that year in League One, the first time we played them in League One, and it's like they had the bunting out in the town. It was the whole like former European Cup winners thing and everything, and it it, it felt so weird as the years went by to see them acquit themselves so much better 
and in let's be honest a more typically historically forest kind of a way in the football that they played in the nature of their recruitment and everything like that they were a beautiful side to watch going up to the first couple of years in the prem before they sort of left you know lost their way a little bit um but it always felt to me in those years one years and the championship years that they just had a bit of a march on us in terms of what it needed to be successful as a side so what we definitely want to make sure that we talk about is the artwork and we've had the the absolute pleasure of being able to see some fabulous artwork around the city ground while the games have been going on not least in the trent end and the giant garibaldi that I think originally the artwork that you did for that was for issue six of Bandy and Shinty. So we had that on the inside cover of that that magazine. And now we've got it gloriously displayed um, in the trend. And, and then the new stuff that's going below that of every single player in the squad being represented on that, that lovely long banner um, of support. So can you tell us yeah. a little bit about how it all came about? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, the that original piece of artwork in Giuseppe Garibaldi, um, it's quite nice that Forza Garibaldi kind of taken that on board and, and used it, you know, on a scarf and obviously in a in a in a big banner as well as a smaller banner, <clears throat> and that was nice and an incredibly surreal experience to see, and it's quite interesting, you know, these banners are done for specific games where you know there's a lot of organisation put into place for them and they're kind of a one-off to a certain degree because you're kind of think, wondering how they're going to recycle that and this and even the player banner um, was actually meant for the Fulham game because um, they knew that it was going to be live on the telly um, but it was only ever going to be seen once and I don't think the people in the trend end behind the glass would have been too pleased with that because they wouldn't be able to see anything <laughs> they would have been looking through um, banner-tinted spectacles, I suppose. Um, so the lockdown, for, from my point of view, to a certain degree, has been beneficial because my art now is there for all remaining home games, which I think would be four, isn't it? Something like that. Um, and I'd, I'd already decided at the beginning of the season that I wanted to draw the players for whatever reason, just, you know, coming on the back of the player images that I'd done for the inside covers of the, of the kind of most recent Bandy and Shinty issues, but kind of less detailed. Um, so I just worked my way through the, the squad as they were playing. Um, so there are a few players there that you'll never see, um, you know, like Jack Robinson and um, Murich. So I did the original design for the banners and there was going to be another banner of Sabre in the middle of that. And then, um, Paul's Garibaldi boys decided they wanted to use that wonderful wording anyway, which was great. I'm um, a little bit of a technical issue. So the Trent end is 85 metres wide. So the idea was to fill it. So those two banners are 27 metres wide each and four metres high. And then the remaining piece in the middle is obviously what's remaining in terms of the length. Um, and Matt got hold of me and said, I think we're going to be doing some fan displays. Can we kind of recycle those banners and can we change them for the players that have left, basically? And by the way, do you have an image of Sambury that we could add into it? And they were dealing with the club as well. I think just to get approval for the player images that were being used. 
And so there was a little bit of back and forth from them. I did an initial submission that didn't have Sabri on board and the club came back and said, can we add him? So we did that. And then, so that's what you see to, today, really. Obviously, I did Devin Murich in on the right and I had Jordan Smith and Bruce Sandra together on the left. So it quite balances itself out quite nicely. Um, it's just a really nice... A it's a nice sentiment, isn't it? As a you know, it's a perfect fit for where we are at the moment. Because I think a lot of us were quite nervous about the concept of football coming back without fans being in the stadium and stuff, and it didn't feel quite right. But what you've managed to do with that, and then like you say, with the words that Forza have put into the middle as well, is really connect the fans to the players in a way that we can't do. Well, we're not. Available, no, not able to go into the ground or whatever. So it's kind of created, it couldn't be more appropriate, could it, to have an artwork that features absolutely every single one of them and the words that have every one of us behind every one of them just feels like a perfect sentiment and, and thing to have on the Trent end to, to rally them for the games that are left. Yeah, and um, I've not had any direct feedback from the club because they don't know who I am because they're dealing with Forza Garibaldi. I quite like, as I said before, that kind of going under the radar um, and just producing this stuff and getting out there kind of under the Forza Garibaldi banner, although they're obviously nice enough to um, kind of give us a shout out on on Twitter um, as and when stuff is released. There's a couple of other bits of mine in the Bridgeford end, like the nice little forest van, camper van that's made its way into a badge. I'd even I'd forgotten I did that piece of artwork. I was asked to do it last summer. So um that was nice when that showed up. I was um, going to mention the campaign because I've had my pin badge delivered so very impressed with yeah. that. I had a lovely little package delivered as well which was a nice surprise. I wasn't expecting to get one to be fair. But um so that was nice. Like I've said before it's a little bit surreal. Um, to see that. And, I mean, what was quite nice last night was they used the, the camera facing from the Bridgeford end down to the Trent end before the game. Yeah. And so you could just see it there. You're sitting there and you could think, oh, okay, <laughs> it looks pretty good. Um, I think also from, you know, from a design point of view, as, as, we, as we said, we talked about before, um, there is a bit of design involved in that, which you kind of lose a bit on the scale and just because you don't get a close-up of it. But you know, the background to those banners are actually the pattern that's in the, the forest shirt. So there's like a diamond pattern towards the bottom of the shirt and that's in there as well. So, and I don't think you see many banners around any of the grounds really where there is, there's a level of kind of design and I'm not trying to pick myself up. It's just trying to make us, set us apart from other clubs. Not, not only what we're offering, but also how it's offered and what you see. Um, and uh, I think the only thing that, you know, I would say I've been incredibly impressed with was the cop. I know that's Liverpool and we're not supposed to say that, but that's, that's an amazing display. Everything else is very sanitised and geared towards sponsorship and promotion you know, of, of certain things. And there's not a lot of individuality and, and personal stuff, it seems, it seems to me anyway, in many of the grounds. And I've watched a fair few games since the lockdown, so it's nice to get that at our ground as well. I think, you know, from a marketing point of view, and I'm unfortunate enough to work in marketing, um, you see the difference as you go ground to ground between the stuff that you're meant to have and the stuff that you want to have. 
And I think the way the city ground looks at the moment, because it's all fan-led stuff, it's the stuff that you want to have. And it looks great for it. Um, it's organic. It's it's so pretty. Um, and, I mean, I've got to say, Sean, I'm, I'm delighted for you uh, as much as anything to see your work there. Um, because... You know, it's it's nice for you to have something, you know, existing beyond Bandy because it was it was too good to be limited to the magazine. I also feel that you know, you as a man became unhappier for having known us. You know, you. you, you... <laughs> it should, it should, it's worth knowing that um, that sounds really that sinister. <laughs> Sean used to write a blog called Garibaldi Tinted Spacks. And it was the most positive forest blog you've ever read. He was determined. <laughs> and this is Sean in real life. Sean is determined to see the good in everything. I absolutely am not. And I think <laughs> through your association with me, not so much Steve, because Steve's more a pragmatist. I'm not a pragmatist, I'm a pessimist. And Dave's got an element of pessimistic worry in him as well. And I'd, I'd like to think it really rubbed off on you in the years. <laughs> for you to sort of like counterbalance that misery that you've umbilically kind of took on from being around us with something lasting and something that's got a bit of resonance. And the kind of artwork that you produce for, for the mag, for Bandy, it was made to be seen on this kind of a scale. And it's something kind of unique to us. You know, clubs don't have the kind of thing that we've got going on at the moment. And I'd love to know from a player's point of view what it meant to them when they saw that kind of work coming from the fans, not something mandated by the club, but from the fans. Yeah, um, thank you, Phil. Um, your sentiment is um, heartfelt. Thank you very much. I do appreciate those lovely words. Um, it would be nice to, to, to hear what, they, what, what their reaction is. It, it's nice, you know, when you can produce a bit of artwork and it actually looks like the people you're trying to draw. So that helps. Um, so, yeah, you know, it'd be nice to know how it feels, to, to if it makes any kind of connection, and I hope it does, between how, you know, them on the pitch and then thinking, you know, the fans are with us through not just my banners, but lots of banners there. I mean, there's some great banners as well that are on the Peter Taylor side that, you, that you're unable to see just because of the camera angles, you know. So all three sides have got, a lot of banners on them um, and there is that you know that connection um, with the players that you know I'm sure they do appreciate it's just you know so in the past we've all had a giggle haven't we uh, you know like Derby giving out their flags and Leicester giving out their whatever it is that they bang together to make it make some noise um, and you see a lot of that kind of manufactured sort of nonsense that you really think fans should refuse to have anything to do with um, and instead, we've got this, you know, fantastic fan-led setup with some really talented people like yourself doing the work to create outstanding-looking displays. You know, so you've got the best of, of everything really there. In that, it's not the club, it's the fans, it's not corporate. It's very much about heartfelt support for the club. But at the same time, it looks absolutely top-notch and you know better than the the corporate stuff that gets put out. So we've really ticked all the boxes with the stuff that we've got at Forest at the moment. In terms of how far we've come as a club, what's been really, really nice for me to see this year is um, there's been journalists and, and it's always a pleasure to see this, but there's been, you know, big 
national writers, you know, your, your Henry Winters, your, your Pat Murphy's, um, people like that, who have been covering Forest games this year. And they've all remarked on how much they've just enjoyed it as an experience. And it's a kind of propriety and atmosphere coming back to Forest that wasn't there for a long time. And things like Sean's artwork are, you know, very much a distillation of that and, and a very visible distillation of it. But I, I think it taps into just the mood. Uh, the mood is something to be celebrated because normally a mood, that kind of unity, particularly at a club like Forest, it builds around a particularly scintillating team, you know, a very exciting team to watch. And with no disrespect meant, you know, towards this team, this isn't that kind of a team that normally gets Forest fans on their feet. But the fact that we've been packing them in home game after home game, that attendances have been so good, that the club have been so, so you know, sensible um, and long-termist in terms of getting people through the door at the expense of you know short-term cost and or, or you know revenue and things like that it's all added together and woven itself together really nicely this year yeah i think also what what needs to be added as well is is, is the fact that the club are quite willing to be to have a dialogue with 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 fans obviously for the garibaldi in particular um i don't know what the process of the of the discussion was but i'm I'm assuming that Falls Garibaldi went to the club and said, because I have a relationship with them anyway, went to the club and said, look, we could do this. What do you think? And I think, you know, you've got to applaud the club for turning around and saying, yeah, we should do that for the rest of the home games. Let's put some banners out. You know, if you've got some new stuff, let's do that. We can use some existing banners as well. And, you know, there are some, I don't know whether every club would, would be willing to do that. Well, it doesn't seem to me that every club would, because you've just got to look at the stadiums that you're seeing on the telly. I think, you know, to um, to sort of revisit a word that Steve's always been very keen on, which is identity. We, we spoke about this before. Um, whether it's an identity to everybody's tastes it is another question. But Forest do have something this year that they've not had for the longest time, which is a coherent sense of identity. And what's amazed me this year... Um, and I'll be honest, I always kind of poo-pooed the idea, you know, the significance of that a little bit. But what happens when you have an identity and you have that unity is you ride out the highs and the lows of the individual results that much better. You know, when you feel there's a unified effort and everything, the games don't become these sort of like, you know, the defeats aren't as apocalyptic. You enjoy the victories and everything, but it's in the absence of those things and the absence of, of um, identity and a joined-up approach that all you've got to really go on is the results. And then there's too much riding on it, and understandably, people start losing jobs and things. You know, it's no surprise that turnover, um, high turnover, is a function of lack of identity, and lack yeah. of identity is a function of high turnover. You know, whereas this year, I've got to toff my cap to the club this year because God knows I've been critical of Forrest for a long time. I really feel for the first time in years, nothing to complain about this year. Spot on with, with the identity thing. And, you know, on the back of, of previous conversations that we've had, um, I put the piece up on, on the website about that exact topic because, you know, we finally managed to start building something that does look identifiable as forest and like you say irrespective of whether it's any individuals um sort of number one perfect 
image of what they want Forrest to be is kind of irrelevant, really. It's all about forging an identity and then evolving that over time. Um, and as you do that, then you can build something successful on the back of it. Um, and when you don't have it, you tend to flounder. And that's what we've been doing for a long time. Oh, but fractured, unhappy teams do not get promoted. Promotion requires too much of you as a team uh, in terms of you know a collective ethos, a buy-in from everybody. A season's worth of football requires too much of you to do it by accident. You know, and the closest I've seen to a team getting promoted by accident was us from League One, um, which was, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but even then, you, you know, you, you can't dismiss it because um, they played for Calderwood all the way through that campaign. And, you know, you don't end as strongly as we did that year, a, a run of nine, ten games when people aren't buying into a system and an idea. And, you know, we did that year. My dad always said, you don't go up by accident. You don't go down by accident. It, it's symptomatic of bigger things within your football club, how you end up and where you end up. Thank you.